0: We upload a new speaker every day, and it's easy to subscribe by searching for NAPOD, N-A-P-O-D, all one word, on any podcast player app, or go to napod.xyz if you'd like to listen online. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and have a great day.
1: Now that we're assembled here, in full strength, and in all the joy of it, on publication, I first want to renew my thanks to all who have made it possible, exactly commitment to each one of you, to the untold miles of travel that you've all made, to be present, to inspire me, to fill me with the warmth of your half-hospitality. Be with each other. I am grateful to the governor of this state, mayor of this town, for their recognition that we are again not only members, but citizens of the world. We once more belong to these friendly sets. I am deeply grateful to this hotel (laughs) and the owners of it. So, how is that practically So, it's a perfect. Could you see that
0: apartment I there? Mean,
1: you'd wonder how the hell anybody could stay sober I mean, It has a As for me, I come here in great gratitude.
0: Not only for the many tokens
1: of your generosity and affection that I received in the past, But for what you are making possible, for my sponsor, i just as much founder of AA as I, or any of the stars without whom this thing could have been. So again, (coughs) I recall my deep gratitude, and I can find no better words to say that. I think I'm on the bill for tonight's show and talk on tradition. 12 traditions to AA. But you know drunks like women uh have the priority, or at least tease the priority, of changing their mind or making it something very effective I think the predictions one to twelve would be a little too green my horry a little as a matter of fact uh, speaking of predictions uh, when they were first written back there in 1945 or six and saw a tentative guy to help us to hang together and function nobody quite paid any attention except a few beginners who wrote me what the hell they about no, I made say this twice. But little by little, as these traditions uh, got around, and we had our clubhouse squabbled, our group with this difficulty that, it was found that the traditions indeed did reflect experience and were guiding principles. So they took all the more, and a little more, and a little more. So today, the average AA coming in the door, learns at once what they're about, what kind of an outfit he really has landed in, by what principles his group, and he, as a whole, are talking. But as I say, the dickens was all that. I just like to spin some yarns, and they will be a series of yarns that will cluster around the preparation of the good old book. Oh, no, it's not. Some people reading book now, they say, well, this is the A.A. Bible. When I hear that, it always makes me shudder. Because the guys who put it together weren't a damn bit Biblical. Sometimes supporters and drunks have an idea that these old-timers went around with the almost visible halos and long gowns, and they were full of sweetness and light. Oh, boy, how inspired they were. Oh, But wait for a it. I closed the book yard and really started in the living room of uh, Doc and Annie Smith. As you know, I landed there in the summer of 35. A little group called hold. I helped Smithy briefly with it. And he went on to found the first AA group in the world. And as with all new groups, it was nearly all failure. But now and then, somebody saw the light. And there was progress. After I got back to New York. A little more experience, the group started there. Over the time we got around in nineteen thirty-seven, the thing had leaked a little over into Cleveland and it began to move south from New York. But it was still we thought in those years of uh, flying blind. A flickering candle indeed. And and it might at any moment be snuck out. So on this late fall afternoon in 1937, Lindsay and I were talking together in his living room, and sitting there by the gas log. And we began counting notes. How many people had stayed dry? In Acts, in the North, maybe still asleep. How many had stayed And for how long? And when we added up that salt, sure it was a handful, I don't know, 35, 40 maybe, but enough time had a lack on enough really fatal cases of alcoholism. So that when we grasped the import of these small statistics, Bob and I thought for the first time that this thing was going to succeed and that God in his providence and mercy has thrown a new life into the dark caves where we and our kind have been and were still by the millions to us. I never can forget the elation and ecstasy that Jesus falls and then we fell happily talk and reflected we reflected that well a couple of score of them but well, it's taken three long years there's been an immense amount of failure but a long time has been taken just to suffer up the impulse how could this hand be brought? Telling its to all of those who still didn't know. Not all the drunks in the world could come to Akron or to New York. How did we play a cinematic student? Quite a lot of me. Maybe he thought we should go to the old families in each group, but sometimes nearly everybody did, find the sum of money, somebody else's money, of course, and say to them, well, now take a sabbatical year off your job, if you have any, and you go to Keokos and Omaha, the Chicago and San Francisco and Los Angeles, and wherever it may be, and you give this thing year and get a good start. It had already got evident by then, for we were just about to be moved out of the city hospital in Akron to make room for people with broken legs, and healing memory, that the hospitals were not too happy with us. We tried to run their business perhaps too much and decided not to be noisy in the night and there were other inconveniences, which were all familiar So it was obvious that uh not being such on that lovely creatures, we would have to have a great chain of hospitals. And as that dream burst upon me, it sounded good, because you see, I've been down Wall Street in the promotion pit, and I remember the great sums of money that were made as soon as people got this chain idea, you know, chain drugstore, chain grocery store, chain dry by good Why not chain drug tanks? And let us make it all. <laughs> so we needed some missionaries, some guys. We needed a chain of dump tanks, that got very clear. All clear to me. Father is a conservative type of Yankee. I don't think he was quite so fast for those items. I was very insistent. It would take a pile of dough to finance all this, after all, with this brand new light shining in our dark world, we just squirted in the eyes of rich guys and made up with the dough. Besides we reflected, uh <laughs> We'd have to get some kind of literature. Up to this moment not a syllable uh, this program, so far as I know, was in life. And it was a kind of a word of mouth deal. You was uh, with variations according to each man or woman's fancy. you away and again well, away we said, Well, the booze has got you down, boys uh, you got an allergy and an infection and you're hopeless if you are you better get on it with yourself. Take stock, you, you ought to talk this out with somebody. It's kind of a professional, you know. And you ought to make restitution for the harm you said, You ought to make men. All that kind of business. Why do you play these best to cook, according to your life? And I'll give you of the word of mouth program up to that. time. Huh. As as I say, variations on that were already appearing. How could we unify this?
0: Could we, out of
1: our experience, get certain principles, describe certain methods that had done tricks for us? Yes, obviously, if this movement was to propagate, it had to have a literature so its message could not be garbled either by the Trump or by the general public. So, Bob and I reflected that late afternoon in 1937, Missionaries, stay in a drunk tank, cannibal. Well even by then, he and I had begun to learn that we were not the government of Alcoholics Alarm. He, I guess more than I, already realized that the conscience of the group, the opinion of the group, when it was an informed opinion and the group's interest could be better than our own, we better consult hope. Well, there was dear old, uh, dear old man out called, in fact, he and there, They'd let us meet in their house. After Ackland got out of his great power and got into theirs. And he was a great friends of us. So called meeting of the Ackland group, that is to say those who had been sober any great length of time, I think for this particular meeting we scraped up about 18. And to you me, Bob and I told him that we were within sight of success, that we thought this thing might go on and on and on, that a new life, indeed, was shining in our dark world. But how could this light be reflected and transmitted without being distorted and dark? And at this point they turned the meeting over to me and being a salesman I set right to work on them drunk tanks and subsidies for the missionaries I was pretty poor then and we touched on the bus and the group conscience consisted of 18 men good and true and the good and true men you could see right away were damn skeptical about it all, all with one voice they call let's keep it simple. This is going to bring money into this thing. This is going to create a professional plan We'll all be on. Well, I counted that's a very good argument. Lots of what you say. But even within gunshot of this very house, I alcohol is the like fly. And if this thing doesn't move any faster than it has, in the next, in the last three years, it may be another ten before it gets to the outskirts of Africa.
0: How in God's name are
1: we going to carry this message to others? We've got to take some kind of chance. We can't keep it so simple as it comes an anarchy and gets complicated. We can't keep it so simple as it wants to get itself. And we've got to have a lot of money to do these things. So, exerting myself to the utmost, which was considerable in those days, we finally got a vote in that little meeting, and it was a mighty close vote. By just a majority of maybe two or three, the meeting said with some reluctance, Well, Bill, if we need a lot of gold, you go to the back of New York where there's plenty of it, and you leave. (laughs) Well, boy, that was the word I've been waiting for. So I crammed back to the great city, and I began to approach some people of means, and, and describe this tremendous thing that had happened. And it didn't seem so tremendous to the people of means at all. They said, "What? 35 or 40 drunk, so up. They have sobered him up before now, you know. And besides, Mr Wilson, don't you think it's kind of sweet enough for shavings? I mean, uh I mean, wasn't there something for the Red Cross he better? In other words, with all of my most solicitation, I got one the freeze from the gentleman away. Well, I began to get blue. And when I began to get blue on oh, my stomach gets up as well as other things. <laughs> And I was laying in the bed one night with an imaginary altar attack. You used to have them all the time. I had one time to throw that for it. I said, my God, uh, we're starting to death here at Clinton Street. By this time the house was closed up. They were eating out of house and home. In those days, we never believed in charging anything for, uh, anybody for anything. So though it was earning the money, I was being a missionary and drunk or eating meals. This us has gone. We gotta have them drunk we gotta have them missionaries, and now we gotta have them missionaries, and we gotta have a book. That's the story. Well, the next morning I called in my clothes, and I found my brother-in-law. <laughs> he's about doctor, and He is about the last person who's talking to and he's just way, way down. The only one, save of course, dear Lord. Well, I said I'm going to see Lenny. So I went up to see my brother-in-law, and we tried out a little time between the patients coming in up there. And I started my awful bellyache about these rich guys who wouldn't give us any doll for these crazy and glorious enterprise. So what I was And it seems to me that somehow you was tied up as a Rockefeller family in their sheriff. And if you want to, we'll call up the Rockefeller offices and see if there is such a man, and if there is, is he alive, and will he see us? Would you like me to do that? Well, I haven't tried the Rockefeller offices. Well, sure, give me (laughs) a On what slender threads does destiny sometimes hang? Remember, my cousin's law said I knew a girl. And I think she had enough. <laughs> so the call was made. Instantly there came out of the other end of the wire, the voice, uh, Dear Willard Richards, one of the loveliest Christian gentlemen that I have ever known.
0: And the moment he recognized my
1: brother-in-law, he said, why, Leonard, he said, where have you been all these years? Well, my brother in law, unlike me, is a man of very few words, so he quickly said to dear old Willard uh, that uh he had a brother in law who was apparently having some success opening up dogs. Could uh the two of us come over there and see him? Why certainly, said Dear Willard, to come out. So we go over to Ross California, we go up that elevator fifty four flights, fifty six I guess it is. And we walked promptly to Mr. Rockefeller's personal office, asked to see Mr. Richards. And here sits this lovely, benign old gentleman, who nevertheless had a kind of shrewd twinkle in his eye. So I sat down and told him about our exciting discovery. This horrific show of Rockefeller's that had just hit the world. How it worked, what we had done, and boy, this was the first receptive man with money or access to money. Remember, we were in Mister Rockefeller's personal office at this point, and by now too, we had learned that this was Mister Rockefeller's closest to personal friend, perhaps. So he said, "Why well, yes, much interrupt. Uh, Would you like to have lunch with me, Mr. Wilkes? Well, you know, for a rising promoter, that sounded pretty good. I we'll had lunch with that planter of St. John Dee. Things were looking up. My ulcer attack disappeared. <laughs> so I had lunch with the old gentleman, and we called his Strange again, and boy, he's so warm and kind and friendly. What? was the lunch, he said, Well, now, Mr. Wilson, or Bill, if I can call you that, uh, <laughs> said, Wouldn't you like to have a larger meeting with uh, some of my friends? And there's Frank Amos, he's
0: in the advertising business, but he was on a committee that
1: recommended Mr. Rockefeller uh, drop the, uh, prohibition. Business. And there's Lloyd Chipman, who looked at Mr. Rockefeller's real estate, and there's Mr. Scott, who's chairman of the board up at the Riverside Church, and he said a number of people like that. I, I believe they'd like to hear this. story. so a meeting was arranged, and it fell upon a winter's night, late 1937. And the meeting was at 3 o'clock, Colorado. We called in both a couple of John McMacklin, Smithy included, of course, having the protection. I came in with the New York contingent, four or five, and to our astonishment, we were ushered into Mr. Rockefeller's personal horrid room, right next to an office, right next to his office. And I thought to myself, well, now this is really getting hot. And indeed, I felt very much warm when I was told by Mr. Richardson that I was sitting in a chair just vacated by Mr. Rockefeller. I said, well, now we really are getting close to the bankroll?" Oh, Don Stilford was there that night, too. And he said to find what he had seen happen to these new friends of us. And he drunk, thinking of nothing better to say, well, he told our stories, drinking and a cup. And these folks listened. They seemed very definitely impressed. So I could see that the moment for the big touch was come. So I gingerly brought off the subject of the drop tank, the toxicized missionaries, and this question of a book or lyric. Well, God moved in a mysterious way and wanted to perform. But it didn't look like a wonder to me when Mr. Scott head of a large engineering forum and chairman of the Riverside Church uh, looked at that and said but uh, gentlemen, said uh, up to this point this has been a work of goodwill only no plans, no poverty no paid people just one carrying the good news to the next isn't that true? and may it not be that that is where the great power of this society lies now if we subsidize it, might it not alter it to hotel? We want to do all we can, we're gathered for that. But what if we want? Well then the salesman all gave Mr. Scott to us, and we said what? Mr Scott, there are only party of us. it's taken three years. Why millions, Mr. Scott, will want before this thing ever gets told unless we have money and lots, of it. And we made out our case at last with these gentlemen for the missionaries the don't the book. So one of them volunteered to investigate us, Sir Carol, and since poor old Dr. Bob was harder off than I was, since the first group and the typical community situation was in Akron. We directed their attention out there. And Frank Amish, still a trustee in the foundation, had his own expense, got on a train, went out to Akron, made all sorts of preliminary inquiries around town about Dr. Bob. All reports were good except that he was gone, <laughs> at recently got over. He visited the little meeting out there. He went to the Smith's house, and he came back with what he thought was a very modest project. And he recommended to these friends of ours that, uh, well, we could have, well, at least it just a total amount of money at first, say $50,000, something like that. That would clear off the mortgage on the Smith place. It would uh, get us a little rehabilitation place, which would put Dr. Smith in charge, uh, We could subsidize a few of these people briefly until we got some more money. We could, uh, you know, it would start a chain of hospitals. We'd have a few missionaries. We could get busy on the books. All for mere fifty thousand bucks. Well, considering the kind of money we were backed up against, that did sound a little small. But you know, one thing leads to another. It sounded real good. We were we were real glad. Mr. Willard Richardson, our original contact, then took that report into John D. Junior, as everybody called. I have uh, since heard what went on in there. Mr. Rockefeller read this report, called Willard Richardson back, and he said, somehow I am strangely stirred by all this. This interested me immensely, And then looking at his friend Willard, he said, but isn't money going to be spoiled? I'm terribly afraid that it was. And yet I'm so strangely stirred by it. Then came another turning point in our destiny. When that man whose business is giving away money said to Willard Richardson, no, he said, I will be the one to spoil this fund with money. You say these two men who are heading into a little flat. I'll put $5,000 in the Riverside Church Treasury. You folks can form yourselves into a committee and draw on it as you like. But please don't ask me for any more. Well, so I want to hear what goes on. Well, the 50,000 had then shrunk to the five. We raised the mortgage on Smithy's house for about three grand. That left, two. and Smithy and I commenced chawing on that two. Well, that was a long way from strength on the drunk tank. Well, what would we do? Well, we had more meetings with our newfound plant. Amos, Richard, Scott, Chipman. And those fellows who sat with us to this day, some of them now being gone. And in spite of Mr. Rockefeller's advice, we again convinced these folks that this thing needed a lot of money. What could you do without it? So, one of them proposed, well, why don't we form a foundation, something like the Rockefeller Foundation? Well, I said, I hope it'll be like that with respect to mine. <laughs> and then one of them got a free lawyer from Hila Hill York Farm who was interested in the thing, and we are asking to draw an agreement of trust, a charge, or something to be called the he Alcoholics Foundation. Why we picked that one, I don't know. I don't know whether the foundation was alcoholic. It was the alcoholic foundation. Not the alcoholic foundation. No. And the lawyer was very much confused because in the meeting in which we formed the foundation, we made it very plain that uh, we drunks did not wish to be in the majority. We felt that there should be non-alcoholics on the board and they ought to be in a majority of one. Well, indeed, said the lawyer what is the difference between an alcoholic and an non-alcoholic, and one of smart drugs says, well, that's sex. A non-alcoholic is a guy who can drink, and an alcoholic is a guy who can't drink. Well, um, says the lawyer, how do we say that legally? I wouldn't know. <laughs> so at length, we have a foundation. And the board, which I think then was of about seven, consisting of four of these new friends, including my brother-in-law, Mr. Richardson Chipman Amos, and some of our drunk. I think Smithy went on the board, but I kind of quietly totally stayed off, thinking, well, it would be more convenient later on. So we had this wonderful new foundation. These friends, unlike Mr. Rockefeller, were told that we needed a lot of dough. And so our salesman on the art started to solicit, solicit the money. Again, from the very rich. And we had a list of them, and we had credentials and letters from friends of Mr. John D. Ross. How did you miss? I asked you sir. The foundation is informed in in spring of 1938, and all summer we solicited the list. Well, they were either in Florence, or they preferred the Red Cross. Or some of part thought the trunks were discussed. And we didn't get one damn cent in the whole summer of nineteen thirty eight play pop. <laughs> well, in the meantime we began to hold customies and they were commiseration facts. So I'm getting no dog. What was the mortgage and what was Smithy and me eating away at it? The five grand had about gone up the floor. And we were all so involved again. Smithy couldn't get his practice back either because he was a surgeon and nobody liked to be carved up by an alcoholic surgeon even if he was for years old. So things were tough all around, no fool. Well, what would we do? The one day, probably in August 1938, I produced at a foundation meeting <coughs> a couple of chapters of a proposed book in Ross and in Minigraph. As a matter of fact, we've been using chapters of this proposed book along with the recommendations of a couple of doctors down at John Hopkins to try to put the bite on the rest and we still had these two book chapters kicking around. So Frank Amos said, well, now I know the religious editor down there at Hopkins. An old friend of mine, Gene X. Why don't you take these two book chapters, your story and the introduction to the book, down there and show them to Gene and see what he thinks about. it. So I took the chapters down. So my great friend Gene, who has become a great friend of ours, looked at the chapters and he said, Why? He said, Mr. Wilson, he said, you write a whole book like this? Oh, God. <laughs> well, it was more talk about it, uh, I guess, year, it short, it bus, and went in and showed us, Mr. Canfield, and now the meeting was handed. The upstart was, that I presented, made it, that they would pay me, as the parting author, $1,500 in advance royalties, bringing enough money in to enable me to face the book. Well, I felt awful good, you know, about that. It made me feel like I was an author, a comer, maybe. I felt real good about it. But after a while, not so good. Because I began to reason, and so did the other boys, well, if this guy Wilson eats up the 1,500 bucks while he's doing this book, after the book gets out, it'll take a long time to catch up. And if this thing gets some publicity, what are we going to do with the inquiries? And after all, what's a lousy 10% royalty anyway? Well, the fifteen hundred still look pretty big to me. Then we thought, too, now here's a fine publisher, Lex Harford, but if this book, if and when done, should prove to be the main textbook for AA, why would we want our main means of propagation in the hands of somebody else? Shouldn't we control it? Well, at that point, the book project really began to get popular. It began to take off. We'll try this on separate from the foundation. So I had a guy helping me on this thing who had red hair, ten times my energy, and something more he was. He said, Bill, it's a Come on with me. We walk into a stationary store, we buy a pad of black stock statistics, we write a card to them. work publishing company, car value, $25. So we take a pad of these stock statistics, but we didn't buy it to incorporate it, that didn't happen a couple of years. We took this pad of stock statistics to the next day AIM meeting, why you shouldn't mix money with spirituality you oh. know. And we pass to the drone, why well, look, this is going to be a thing. If you take a third of this thing, the services lenders, I, the author, I'll take a third, the services landed, and you can have a third of these stocks because if it's possible fine if you'll just start paying up on your stock. If you only want one share, it's only five dollars a month. Five months, and the drone call gave us the calling look. <laughs> What the hell? You mean to say you're asking us to buy stock in a book that you ain't written yet? Why, sure, we said. If Harper's will put money in this thing, why shouldn't you? Harper said it's gonna be a, a good book. But the drunk still gave us the stony stick. No Well we had to take up some more. Oh, uh, we said, well, uh, we've been looking about the printing costs of the book boys. we got a book here, you know, 400, 450 pages, all for about 350. Now, back in those days, uh, we found on inquiries and printers that that 350 book could be printed for 25 cents, making a thousand to say a Of course, we didn't mention the other tax, we just print costs. So, boys, just think when these books move out in Carlos, lot, we're planning them for 35 cents and we're selling them direct mail. 3 50 How can you load? The drop still gave us some. No, I'll stop. Well, we figured we had to have a better argument than that. Harper said it was a good book. If we could plan them for 35 cents and sell them for 3 but how are we going to convince the drunks that we could move Cairo's road lots? Millions of dollars.
0: So we get the idea, we'll walk to the reader's
1: side And we got an appointment with Mr. Kenneth Payne, the managing editor up there. Gee, i never forget the day we got off the train up Pleasantville, went over to his office, ushered in. We excitedly told him the story of this wonderful budding society. We dwell upon the friendship of Mr. Rockefeller and Harry Emerson's project and all the retiring and good calling of Payne. And, uh, the society, by the way, it was about to publish a textbook, then in process of being written. And we were wondering, Mr. Payne, uh, if this wouldn't be a matter of tremendous interest to, to read a subject. Having in mind, of course, that read a had a circulation of all million readers. And if we can all get a free ad, okay. of their common book and the reader's target, we really would move some. <laughs> well, Mr. Payne said, this sounds extremely interesting. He I, I like this idea. Why? I think it would be an absolutely ideal, <laughs> ideal piece for the doctor. Well, how soon do you think this new book will be out, Mr. Wilson? Well, I think we've got a couple chapters written and <laughs> yeah. said we can get right at it, Mr. Payne, uh, you know, uh, probably, uh, this being, let us say, October, we ought to get this out for you, April, next day. One of the things said, I'm, I'm sure that I just would like to like this, Mr. Logan. He said, I'll pick it up with the editorial card And he said, uh, one time is right, and you got all ready to shoot. Come on up and we'll put a special feature writer on this thing, and we tell all about your style. And then my promoter's friend said, but Mr. Payne, will you mention the new book in the city? Oh, yes, yes, Mr. Payne, That's all we need. Then we went back to Johnson and he said, now look, boys, there are positively millions in it. How can you make this? Harper says it's going to be a good one. We buy them for 35 cents in the printer, we sell them for 350. The reader's digest is going to give us a free ad and a seat, and boys, they'll move out by the car. How can you and after all, we only need four or five thousand bucks. So then we began selling shares that were publishing not yet incorporated for dollars, five dollars a month to poor people. Some people could buy as many as one guy, or ten shares. We sold a few shares to non-alcoholics. And my promoter friend, who was to get a third interest, was a very important man in this transaction because he went out and kept collecting the money to us. So that little Lucy Hawk and I to keep working on the book, and so Lois would have to wrote although she so was still working in that department So, the preparation stopped, and some more chapters were done, and we went into AA meetings in New York with these chapters in the rock. Well, it wasn't like chicken in the rock, the boys didn't need those chapters up at all. I suddenly discovered that I was in a terrific world full of ironies. I was just the umpire, finally had to stipulate for well, boys. Sure. Over here, you got the Holy moly, and say we need all the good old fashioned stuff in the book, and over here, you tell me we gotta have a psychological book, and that never cured anybody, and they didn't do much of their in the mission. So I guess you'll have to leave me just to be the umpire. I'll scribble out some rocks here and show them to you and let's get the comments then. So we fought, led and died our way through one chapter after another. We sent them out to Akron and they were peddled around and there were terrific hassles about what to do in this book and what not. Meanwhile, we set drunks to writing their stories or having newspaper people that we had to write stories for them to go and pack the books. We had an idea, we had a text, you know, and we had stories all about the drunks who had taken sober impact. We it up. So then came that night when we were up around that, uh, chapter five. All about myself, which is natural after all. And then uh, we did a little chapter and we dealt with the agnostic and we described alcoholism. But boy, we finally got up to the point where we really had to say what the book was all about and how this deal worked. Well, as I told you, this was a six-pack program then. On this particular evening, I was lying in bed in Prince and wondering what the truth the next chapter would be about. The idea came to me, well, we need a definite statement, a concrete principle that these drugs can't wiggle out. There can't be any wiggling out of this field at all. <laughs> and this six-step program has two big gaps in between. that will be wiggling out. Moreover, if this book goes out to different readers, they have got to have an absolute explicit program by which to go. Yeah. Well, while I was thinking these thoughts, while my imaginary author was naming me, and while I was mad at hell at these drunk because the money was coming in slow, some had the stock and was paying up, a couple of guys came in and they gave me a big argument and we yelled and shouted. And I finally went down and laid on the bed with my altar and I said, Whoa. Well, it was a pad of paper from the head and I reached the pad and I said, Well, now you got to break this program up in small pieces so they can't wiggle out. So I started right." Trying to bust it up in a little piece. And when I got the pieces set down on that PGL paper, I put numbers on it. I was rather agreeably surprised when it came out at twelve. I said, Well, that's the good thing, Messenger Figure, and Christianity and Mr. Law. Now I noticed that instead of leaving the ground idea to the last, I got it up front, but so I didn't say what the to that. said. It was pretty good. Well, next meeting comes along. I've done all going on beyond the steps, trying to the amplify them and let the that side I just had chapter with the chapter in the meeting. and All right, hand them off folks. The what do you mean by changing them off the What about this? What about that? This thing is overloaded, we with We don't like this. You've got these guys on their knees. Hand them up. This thing is. A lot of these guns are scared to death to be exhausted. Let's take that out of it. That's where the argument well, out of that terrific all about the 12th step, there did come a tense thought. That argument caused the introduction of the phrase, which has been a lifesaver by of my was certainly not on a I was on the fire side then, which was still suffering from the three hot flashes. The idea of God as you understand him came out of that perfectly polished and we put that well little by little the things round down little by little we put in money we kept an office open over north which was the office that was a front business that i tried to establish my friend in the money ran all the time so that it was hot work for an old day we gave it. Plenty of stock in the worst publishing department. course, you know tell that we tear it off the pad five twenty five, have a week dollar. so we got around to about January nineteen hundred and thirty nine. Somebody said, Well, hadn't we better check this thing out? had we better kind of a publication copy of it? A monolithic or a miniograph copy of this text and, and these stories try you know, on the preacher, on the doctor, the staff, the committee on publication, the scientists, the policemen, policeman, sex-wise, house-wise, drunk, everybody, just to see if we got anything that goes against the grain in any place, and also to find out if uh, we can't get some better ideas here. So at a considerable expense, we got these two publication copy name, and, and we peddled it around, and the comments came back one of my other places to the catholic committee on publications in new york and at that time we had only one catholic member to take it there and he just got out of the asylum and had not had anything to do with with, with uh, preparing the book and to our great surprise the promising people something about their lives. <laughs> Well, so the book is passed much. And the story came in, and somehow we got them an edited. Somehow we got the galley together. And we got up to the clinic house. Well, for me, when I was once, had been kind of slow on those subscription payments. The thing a little further on, I was able to go up to Charlie's town, where old Doc Silver is held for. Us. Charlie believes in us mining land. So we had put the flood on Charlie for 2,500 bucks. Charlie didn't want any stock. He wanted to Tom sorry, no. On the boat, not yet yeah. listed. So we kept Charlie for 2,500, which we rooted around to the Alcoholic Foundation so to could be packaged that morning. So also, we had gone in, supporting three hours in of an office to do this job in these nine months, upwards of... $6,000, and uh, the till was getting very low. Well, we still had to get a plenty. So we got to Cornwall Clash, the largest federation in the world, where we made three inquiry and we asked about plenty, and, uh, oh, yes, they'd be very glad to do it, and uh, how many books would we got. Well, we said, that's very hard to estimate. Of course, our membership is very small, at quite time, and what's how tell many the membership, after all, the Reader's Digest is going to put a quote about it. The 12 million readers of the book took go out on Carlos, and Mr. Clark. Mr. Printer was none other than dear old Mr. Blackwell, one of our greats. And Mr. Blackwell said, well, boys, uh how much of a down payment is going to make? How many books would you like, Printer? Well, we said, we'll be conservative. We'll, we'll let print 5,000 of them. just fine." And Mr. Blackwell said, well, what's are you going to use for money? Well, we said, well, I believe we don't need much. I imagine $200 on account town to be all right with you, Mr. Blackwell. Of course, after all, we're traveling very good you know, all the friends, Mr. Rockefeller and all that. So Blackwell started printing the 5,000 books. The plates were maids the galleries were red. Gee, all of a sudden, we saw it in the reader's pages. So we go up to the reader's pages. We walk in on Mr. Kenneth's pain. And we said, Mr. Payne, we're all ready to shoot. And Mr. Payne said, shoot. (laughs) Oh, yes, he said, I remember you, Mr. Francis, and Mr. Wilson. You and the gentleman up here last fall, he said, I told you that I thought the Reader's Digest would be interested in this new work and in this book. Well, oh, you said, right after you were here, I consulted our editorial board and the migration party. They didn't like the idea at so and I forgot to tell you. Boy, we had the drop with 4500 bucks in it. Charlie Towns hooked for 2500 bucks. On the cup with the printer, maybe $500 left in the bank. <laughs> what did we do for the drop? Well, this fellow Morgan Ryan, a good looking Irishman, I taking the book uh always tacit committee on publication, had been in an earlier time a good ad man. He said, I know Gabriel Heater. And Gabriel Heater is putting on these three minute uh hot club uh programs on the radio and he says, I'll get an interview with Gabriel Heater. Maybe he'll interview me on the radio about all uh, this. So our courage rose once again. And then all of a sudden, we had a big chill. We thought, well, suppose Irishmen Irishman got drunk before here, interviewed. So we went over to see here, and long, and here, what interview? And then we got still more scared. So we landed a room and they. Downtown Athletic Club, and we put Lion in there with a day and night guard for ten days. <laughs> 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 Meanwhile, right, third very close again. We could see those books just going out in the car. Then my promoter friend said, well, look, it should be uh." You know, a follow-up on a big thing like this, you know, I don't said it'll be heard all over the country, national network. And now he said, I think, folks, that the big market for this book are the dollars. This is it. And he said, I suggest that we pitch the last $500 we got in the treasury on a postal card shower, going to every position, he of the lucky up. And on the postal card, we will say, hear all about Alcoholics Anonymous I'm Gabriel Heater's program. Then $350 for the book Alcoholics Anonymous, sure, sure, for our holiday. So we spent the last $500. The postal card shower went out. They managed to keep Ryan sober, although he since hasn't made it. All the drunks had their ears glued to the radio. The group market and alcoholics Anonymous was already saturated because, you see, we had 49 stockholders and they had all got a book free. And then we had 28 guys with stories and they all got a free book, so we moved out the AA market. But we could see it moving out and kind of in parallel to these doctors and their patients. Sure enough, Ryan is interviewed. Peter pulls out the old time of stock and we could see them because come back in time. Well, we just couldn't wait we to go down to Old Post Office Box 6.58 Church Street, Anne. The address printed in the back of the Old Post. We hung through it for about three days and then my friend Hank and Little the hot to some of you remember, and I went over and we looked in Box 6.58. It wasn't a lot, box. He just looked through the glass. And we could see in there a few of these poker cards. I had a terrible thinking sensation. But my friend was from Ordery said what he said they can't put all that stuff in the box. He said they got mailbags for. full of it out. <laughs> <laughs> So we go to the clerk and he brings us out twelve lousy focal cards. Ten of completely illegible, written by Dr. Drugish Monkey. And we had exactly two parties for the book, Alcoholics and Autonomics. And, and we were absolutely and utterly stony folk. The sheriff then moved in on the office. Paul, oh, Mr. Blackwell, wondered what to do for money and felt like taking the book over. And at that very opportune moment, The house in which Lois and I lived was foreclosed, and we and our furniture were set out in the street. And that was the state of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, in the summer of 1939, and the state of grace the Wilson's work. Moreover, a great cry went up from the north, what about our $4,500? And Charlie, uh, who was pretty well off, was even a little uneasy about that no, or Twenty-five hundred bucks. What would you do? What would you do? Well, we put our goods into storage on coffee. Couldn't even pay the man. An AA landed us the summer camp. Another AA landed us the car. The folks around New York began to pass a hat for groceries to the Wilsons. For which they supplied us fifty dollars a month. So we had a lot of discontented stockholders. 50 bucks a month, a summer camp and an automobile, with which to revive the falling fortunes of the book out the office and all. We began to shop around, from one magazine to another, would they give us some publicity? Nobody said. And it looked like the whole dump was going to be foreclosed. Book, office, Wilson's, everything. When one of the boys in New York, who happened to be a little bit prosperous, Time, and who had a factual clothing business on Fifth Avenue, which we learned was mostly on mortgage, having not nearly all of the up, one of those guys, Bert Taylor, states. I went to Bert one day and I said, Bert, there is a promise of an article in Liberty Magazine. I just got it today. But it will not come out until next summer, uh, next September. It's going to be called Alcoholics and God. It'll be printed by Liberty Magazine's Folk editor of the uh, the the the, the uh he then it. And first, when that piece is printed, why these books will go out and carlow lot. We need a thousand dollars real bad to get it through the sun. Well first says you're you're sure that article's gonna be printed, aren't you? Oh yes, yeah, that's fine. Well he said, okay. He says I haven't got the dog, go, but he said this man down in Paul on Cochran, he's connected with the wet and dry forces. Well, I said, first it's wet and dry, said, Bert says you ain't going to be fussy where he gets his house, Brian. <laughs> He's a customer of mine. He buys his hands in here. <laughs> Let me call him up. Well, so Bert gets on long distance from Paul and Mr. Cartman Baltimore, a very wealthy man, and he said, Mr. Cartman and he said, time, 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 said I mentioned this alcoholic fellowship, which I belong. Said, I said, yes, Mr. Taylor. Well, uh, Bert said, Mr. Cartman, our fellowship has just come out with a magnificent new textbook. Sure, sure, for alcoholism, Mr. Cotton. it's something that we think that every public library in America should have. And Mr. Cochran, the retail price is about $250. mister Cochran, if you just buy a couple of thousand of those books and put them in the large library, uh, of course, we would sell for that purpose, that it's a considerable position. Well, Mr. Cotton said he didn't think he uh, cared to do that. And then uh, Bert said, well, Mr. uh the publicity has come out about, will come out next fall about this new book, Alcoholics uh-huh. Anonymous, but uh, in the meantime, the books are moving rather slow, and we need to, uh, say, a thousand dollars to hide it open. And uh, would you loan the work, publishing company, a thousand dollars? Well, said Mr. Cochrane, what did this balance sheet look like, this worth publishing? Life? And after we learned what the worth publishing looked like, Mr. Cochrane said, no thanks. So again, Bert said, well now, Mr. Cochran, you know me. Would you loan any money to me on the credit or neither? Why, certainly, Mr. Cochrane said, send down your note, Mr. Payne. So Bert talked the business that a year or two later was to go broke anyway. He saved, broke out the whole now. Thirty thousand dollars over, course. we lasted till the Liberty article came in. A thousand inquiries, eight hundred inquiries came in. As a result of that, we moved a few books. We barely squeaked through the year nineteen hundred twenty-nine. But in all this period, we heard nothing from John D. Rothbard. Meanwhile, there's been foundation meeting after foundation meeting. Well, too bad we were having such a hard time letting all go. When all of a sudden. In, I uh, thought February 1940, Mr. Richardson came to a trustees meeting and said, I have great news. Mr. Rockefeller, who we hadn't heard about since 1937, we were told had been watching long time with amazing More Moreover, Mr. Rockefeller was going to give his fellowship a dinner to which he would invite his clients to see the beginning of this new and promising facade. And then Mr. Richardson produced the invitation and all here was the president of Chase Bank and Wendell Wilkie and, uh, all kinds of very prominent people. Many of them extremely rich. I mean, a quick look at the list, uh, I figured it would add up to a couple of billion dollars. So we thought maybe, you know, at last, like, you know, there would be some money and stuff. So we did a check. And we got Henry Ellison Ponsons with the new DNA book down there. He gave us a wonderful club. Master Kennedy came and spoke on the medical attitude, He'd seen a very hopeless jail, a man in the cover, one of his patients. I got up and talked about life among the anonymous. And the bankers, assembled 75 strong and in great wealth, sat at the table with the alcohol. Well, the bankers had come probably as a sort of a command performance, and they were a little suspicious, Perhaps it was an unqualified deal. But they wound up under the influence of the job. Mr. Ryan, the hero of the hero episode, Bill Sullivan. For example, at this table was asked by a distinguished banker, Why Mr. Ryan, uh, we presume you're in the banking business. Ryan said, not at all, sir. I'm just out a race on the fire. Well, that increased the banker, and they were all warming up fine. <laughs> Well unfortunately Mr. Rothschild couldn't get to the dentist. He was sick, actually quite sick that night. And he sent his son, a wonderful gent, not I helped him and he was quite sick. And after the show was over, and everybody was in fine form, and we were all ready again to the big patch, Nelson Rothschild got up and speaking for his father, said, My father sends word that he is so sorry he cannot be i so glad that so many of his friends can see the beginning of this great and wonderful thing. Something Nelson Rockefeller said that has affected his life more than this. almost anything in his life. A stupendous that And Then said, Melvin, no. but fun, gentlemen, this is work that we see on good work. It requires no money. <laughs> well, for billion, got up and walked out. Well, that was a terrific letdown, but we weren't let down very long. Again, the hand of Providence is intervened. Right after the dinner, Mr. Rockefeller asked that the park be published in the past he approached called the president of the, the Publishing Company and said he would like to buy 400 books. He sent to all of the bankers in the conference center, and all that not. Well, seeing that this was for a good purpose, we let him have the books cheap. He bought them cheaper than anybody had since. He sold 400 books to John B. Lockhart, Jr. for a one-buck fee. He sent his bank to so, he sent out the books, was pamphlet, and with it, he wrote a personal letter and signed every song wrong one. And in this letter, he began recited how glad he was that his friend had been able to see this great beginning of what he thought would be a wonderful thing, how deeply it had affected him. And then he said, the, Fortunately, gentlemen, this is a work of good will. And leaves little if any money, perhaps a slight amount of temporary, uh, I, said John D Rockefeller, am giving these good people one thousand dollars. So the bankers all received Mr. Rockefeller's letter, and they all tied it up on the clock, Well, John D is giving a thousand dollars. Me with only a few millionths I to send these boys about ten bucks. You know one who had an alcoholic rather than coal and it in as high as three hundred dollars. So with Mr. Rockefeller's one thousand dollars. Plus, the solicitation of all the rest of these factories, we got together the a sum of $3,000, which was the first outside contribution to the Alcoholic Foundation. And that $3,000 was divided equally between Smithy and me so that we could keep going somehow. And we solicited that dinner for five years and got about $3,000 a year out of it for five years. And at the end of that time, we were able to say to Mr. Rockefeller we don't need any more money. The book income is helping to support our office. The books are contributing to fill in. The royalties are taking care of Dr. Bach and well. Welch. We don't need any more money. Now you see Mr. Rockefeller is saving not to do us money. Now, they he gave it himself. He gave it himself at a time when he was under public ridicule for his views about alcohol. He said to the whole world, this is good. The story went out on the wire. All over the world. People ran into the bookstores to get to know books, and boy, we really began to get some book A whole lot of inquiries came into the little office there Street. The book money began to pay. To answer. We hired one more house. There was going be another gallon of meat. And then comes Jack L. with a terrific article in the Charity Post. Then came an immense flood of inquiry, six or seven thousand of them, and Alcoholics Anonymous had become a national issue. That's his story in preparation for Alcoholics And of and it its subsequent like, effects, you all have some note. You've all seen that hook that repeatedly saved the office in of New York. But it isn't the money that came out of it, it does matter. But it is the man that has carried in. that has transcended the mouth and the feet, and is even at this moment, lighting candles in dark terrace,